Raylan. to another episode of Mental Health Mondays. I was trying a new opening, <laughs> so hopefully it worked and we're rolling with it. I am so excited for this episode of Mental Health Mondays where we talk to guests who are either mental health professionals, those that are mental health advocates, or people who experience or live with a mental health challenge. And we are on episode 44, which is so exciting. As a reminder, wherever you're watching this, whether it be on YouTube, LinkedIn, or Facebook, make sure you smash down the like button and or the subscribe so that you don't miss another episode of Mental Health Mondays. And today I have Tanya Diamond back with me. She's having a little bit of challenges hearing me personally, but we're getting, going to roll with this and see if we can make it work. So I will bring her up and I know that you can't hear me, but thank you for being on the show today. I am going to let you take it away, but I know you can't hear me, so let me type my question. <laughs> I'm waiting for that awesome typing to happen. Thanks so much, Kelly. Happy to be here. And um, yeah, so I am a life strategist. Well, basically, that means that I help people get unstuck in life, love, and money, as well as a biohacker uh, to help people optimize their their lives and um, resetting people's nervous systems when uh, they're trauma symptoms. So that's kind of what I'm all about and excited to be here. And I've never done an interview where uh, it's a type and talk. <laughs> so I'm really, really super excited to find out how all this works and to be back and uh, with all of you guys. Yes, and we will definitely roll with this. I know I can hear you. Um, you just can't hear me, but that's okay. We'll figure it out. Um, I am excited to talk about what we didn't get a chance to talk about. Um, okay. Talk about what we didn't talk about. Awesome. <laughs> and so... <All> right. <laughs> I'm like, roll with it. Go ahead. Okay. Yeah. You have to remind me what we didn't talk about last oh. time so I can, I can roll on this because my gosh, I could probably talk about so many different subjects forever. And, uh, ah, yeah. So sexual healing, sexual trauma is what's on our agenda today. And yeah. Um, so that is one of the specialties that I work in and I'm, and being somebody who's always been interested in how to make sex better, uh, I stumbled into the fact that a lot of people have a lot of different types of trauma around sexuality. And most of us tend to think of sexual trauma as something that's overt, like, you know, that maybe there was rape involved or, uh, 
sexual trauma in childhood. The things that we don't realize that are also sexually traumatizing are families who never talk about anything sexual. They actually have that energy of embarrassment around it, as well as families that are over-sexualized, meaning they talk too much about it in inappropriate ages and times from the kind of moving to be like, let's just all be really open about it. Um, and then there's things like that nobody ever thinks about is the first time uh, when you're getting your diaper changed as a baby. If your parent has you naked and displayed there and you, as a baby, you don't think anything of that. But as a parent, if you're disgusted by how the baby, the poop smells, you're uh, concerned about, you've had sexual molestation in your past. So you already feel like weird touching your baby at all like that. You put that energy into what you're doing. So it could come across on your face as kind of like that. And of course, it, the babies are absorbing everything uh, energetically and cute visual cues are huge for them and audio cues. So if you're doing that kind of thing, that can already start imprinting this idea that this is not a great part of me. How we use our words. If you're a parent who has to use uh, words like woo-ha-ha-ha, what the heck is a woo-ha? Woo-ha-ha. I, I don't know, but what it does is it either creates an immaturity around the languaging around our, our genitals, or if you are very clinical and abrupt, like you have an energetic tone, that's your penis, then, uh, you know, there's got to be a natural way of being. So all of these things can color things as well. And so when we think about, when I think about sexual trauma, I have a lot of questions that I ask somebody. I ask them about, uh, you know, religious uh, up, upraising that they might have had, um, things that were said like, uh, sex is dirty, save it for the one you love. How confusing is that? <laughs> uh, being thrown into no conversations at all about it, but whatever it is, don't do it. Everybody's worried and stuff. And the average age anymore that kids see porn is nine years old. So the average age, nine years old, when kids are first, may first be uh, witness porn, either from a friend's device or accidentally my little ponies, if you leave YouTube on, uh, believe it or not, there's a lot of porn that, that has uh, Disney and all these other stuff put in it. So you can inadvertently find that as a kid. Even if you think you have parental controls on, trust me, your kids know how to bypass those just saying. So yeah, there's a lot of ways that this can happen. And that is not when a kid sees stuff like that at such an early age, it definitely programs and colors their attitudes around sexuality too. So there's a lot around it. Any questions about that, Kelly, or any, you're like, wow, that uh, says a lot there. Uh, I think it's really interesting. And I know you can't hear me, but um, when you think about even like changing a diaper with a baby, and if you have had sexual trauma in the past, um, that can bring up an energy around doing those type of daily activities. So I'm curious, and I'm going to type this again, cause she can't hear me, but I'm curious how someone could change their energy around this around this situation let me type it <laughs> bear with us today i'm just typing out my questions 
of sexual energy. And hopefully that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, so if you're uncomfortable, if you're somebody who is uncomfortable with sexuality, with your genitals, if you've had sexual trauma in your past, or, you know, sexual ignorance is also sexual trauma, right? So that's true too. So the thing is you want a neutral type of energy and you don't want an excitedly excited type of energy and you don't want a checked out type of energy that says, Ooh, this is something scary that we don't talk about or weird. And trust me, like I know all this stuff. And when my daughter was, um, <laughs> when my daughter was a baby, um, I remember hearing she was taking a bath with her dad and she was probably, I don't know, maybe 10 months old or something. Right. He was in the bathtub with her. And so I hear him saying nose, chin, shoulder. Clearly she's probably pointing, you know, out. Right. And he's saying body parts. And all of a sudden I heard him squeal like a girl and I'm like, what the heck? And I came into the bathroom like, what's going on? And he's pointing He's pointing down, you know, and, and she's she's kind of pointing at his penis and he's like pointing at her, pointing at me. And he's just totally freaked out. Right. And I'm just like penis, shoulder, nose, elbow, penis, mole, penis. But but now she's pointing because he's so freaked out. That's entertaining. And so every other, she'll point at his chin, then she points at the penis, points at his chin, points. At... <laughs> I'm just like, until you get chill about this, you're going to create drama. So one of the things he clearly wasn't ready for that. So I know that even though I know a bunch of stuff, I clearly wasn't ready for some of the curiosity that she had around bodies as well. I mean, it's one thing to say, let's all be chill. It's another thing when your kid's actually doing things and, uh, so she remember I was sitting down one day and she was sitting down and all of a sudden she goes, mama, she's like four. How does a baby come out of here? And she's pointing to herself. And, she, and I said, well, honey, you're a child. When you get bigger, that'll happen. And then of course, then she looks at me, and she goes, show me. And she's pointing at me and I'm like, whoa, okay. Didn't, didn't expecting that. What do I do about that? Like, how do I chill about this? I'm like, I took a breath. That's the first thing. Take a breath. Relax your own nervous system. Get fine with yourself. And I said, um, okay, sure. So I show her myself. She takes a look and she goes, yep, that still doesn't seem like it works. And then she was off to do something else. <laughs> but as you can imagine, I had to have a lot of breathing around that. I'm like, okay. But kids are curious. They're going to ask you questions. And how you answer those questions, usually when they're younger, short and sweet, just like casually as you can, because if you have a charge to it, yeah, 100%, you're going to tell them that there's something wrong or something weird or something scary. They're less likely to ask you questions, less likely to talk to you. I am fortunate that my daughter is now almost 19. And she has talked to me about everything related to sex or questions or anything and uh, maintains that open line of communication because she knows that I'm okay to hear whatever she wants to talk about. I know, and I'm typing this out too, but I, my son 
most recently, he is really overly fascinated with where babies come from. And for me, I have this like odd energy around it because of course we have the conversations and we say uh, penis and vagina and not make it like weird because that's what they are. Like you were saying, is that the woo woo or whatever we want to call them? Like, why are we giving them pet names? But also I know that I have this weird energy. Like, I don't know if I should tell him specifically or like I always say, well, we'll have that conversation when you get a little bit older. So um, my question is that, and I'm trying to type this, but um, roll with telling the whole truth. All right, this is really interesting that we're doing this whole thing. Um, do we just ask the, do we just tell him? Like, do we show him a video? Do we like just have the conversation in a natural period? Or is there a certain age that we should be really trying to have these conversations? Yeah, um, depending, you know, so age related questions, um, you know, that's our biggest thing is there's no one sexual conversation with kids. We always have this idea of, when you have the sex talk with your kid, right? And most people want to wait until the kids are 12 or showing interest or 13 or 14. It's really weird. My daughter pointed out to me that it's actually a conversation that I had her whole life. As she asked questions, I would answer them. So like if she was two and she said, where do babies come from? I said, I would say babies uh, are created inside my body and my womb. And she she literally at two, she either she was curious more and I would talk more or she would walk off. But the thing about it is, is most kids, simple answers are best. Where do babies come from or how are babies made? I said, well, typically a sperm has to meet the egg. And she's like, well, where does sperm come from? And I said, sperm comes from men and the egg comes from a woman. And then she's all like, yeah, okay. And that wasn't interesting. She'd walk off. Later on, she'd ask the same question. It'd be like, oh, and then she'd have a, a more sophisticated question. Well, where in the sperm, where does the sperm come from in a man? And I'm like, well, that's created in his testicles. Well, where are the testicles? There is genitalia down here where his penis is. Do you want to see a picture? Sure. Find an illustration, right? Great. You know, well, how does it get in there? Men and women have intercourse or turkey basters. And she's like, turkey basters? <laughs> Sure, lots of different ways the sperm can get into the vaginal canal. And so by using words like that and just more uh, casual, scientific, but casual, kids will really tune, you'll, they'll tell you how far you need to go because they'll just tune out when they're not interested. And so don't be afraid of them asking too much. Um, one day my daughter called me and said, oh, I just saw two cats get married. And I'm like, what do you mean, honey? And she goes, well, they were mating. And I said, she watched a lot of animal shows. She understood about mating. And I said, oh, baby, uh, no, no. Cats and people, nobody needs to get married to have sex. Marriage is different than sex. People can have sex without getting married. And she goes, oh, well, that makes more sense. All right. All right. So, you know, now, if you have a religious point of view, you may not just say that. You may be, may be saying something that later on uh, actually creates... Um, a divergence in understanding because I've met plenty of people who've had sex thinking because they weren't married that it didn't count as sex. So that's 
a little bit disconcerting, but people can be literal. Um, I believed, you'll love this, that an erection was a profound expression of love. Why did I believe that? Well, because I am literal and my parents told me that sex is something people do when they're in love. Whoa, okay, that set me up for a little bit of a disappointment. You can find videos. Keep the conversation open is kind of the best way. When my daughter was older, uh, she was about nine. When I said to her, one day somebody's going to show you people having sex on their device, that's called pornography. And you can just say, no, thank you. And she said, why? And I said, well, because they're actors and actresses and it's not real. It's acting. And she said, uh, she said, is there a reason that um, I wouldn't watch that? And I said, well, there's a lot of reasons. One, because it's not real. And if you're curious about real sex, I can certainly find something better for you to watch. And two, the mechanism of how it's used creates problems in our brains. And so that is a bigger problem. And she goes, oh, something like, you know, it could be violent or addicting. And I'm like, yeah, because she knew about other things, too. So, you know, that's been that's just a real conversation. If we can have a real conversation with our kids they don't go in and I don't, please don't think that it's too early. I mean, on the playground, six and seven-year-olds are talking about things that you'd be shocked that they're talking about. And if you, my kid was always armed with the correct information. So um, yeah, she, I think that's better, quite frankly. And um, she's 19 and uh, I don't think she'd mind if I said, and she is uh, still hasn't decided that she wants to have sex yet. So being educated, as educated as she is, has not caused her to just decide, oh, I'm going to have sex at 14. I know a lot of people worry about that. Yeah, I think, I mean, that's an amazing point also is just knowing that the conversation should be had at any point in time. I mean, I know my son is seven years old and we've had way more conversations than I ever thought I or I would ever imagine that we were going to have, including where do babies come from and gun violent conversations and so many different conversations that I never thought uh, we would have before he turned seven years old. And so I think that's a really great way that you pointed out how you can specifically have the conversations with your children, because they are, they're going to figure it out one way or another. And if you're not telling them the information, then they're going to get it somewhere else. And so I love the way that you said how you explained it to your daughter, because that's a really great way. Like, I didn't know how to have that conversation. And now I do, which is really great. So I'm curious, why do you think as humans, we get really weird about this conversation of sex? And is it like a societal stigma? I know you talked about uh, it could be faith-based, but why in general, or maybe do you think that we have uh, this stigma that we put around sex? Um, well, we, I don't think as humans we get weird around this conversation because having lived all over the world, there's plenty of cultures that are not weird at all about these conversations. So I don't think it's a human thing. I think it's a especially prevalent, um, I notice in the States where we tend to be um, sexually immature and uh, pornographic. So it's like there's this weird juxtaposition between uh, this kind of way of being. Um, 
Other countries I've been in can be really casual. You think of Scandinavian countries, it's like everybody's educated, sex is normalized, the conversation's normalized, very different than how we are here. And, you know, being sexually immature, part of that comes from uh, different uh, social stigmas of, you know, what, yeah, why are we afraid of sex? You know, we're, it's not sex we're afraid of, like we're afraid of teen pregnancies. Yeah, that should be something that, but it's been proven time and time again, the more educated kids are, the less that happens. So I'm not sure where we need to go more with that. Like, it's like, go look at some studies in Scandinavian places that are a lot more normalized and you'll find out that, yeah, that's just don't have the same problems we have here. Um, so, and of course, you know, the more normalized it is, the easier it is to talk about. So the, the fact that we have some problems here really is because we have more sexual trauma than a lot of other countries do because of this weird pornification and immaturity that comes around that. And we have a little bit of that um, uptightness. Like, I think it's weird that I actually, as a parent, thought, you know what? I want my daughter to have an amazing sex life when she grows, when she becomes an adult. Like, how would I normalize conversations when she asked me things like um, about, she pulled out a book one day that had illustrated uh, pictures in it about people having sex in different ways. And I saw her pick up the book. I think she was about nine. And um, I was like, yeah, I'm going to just let that be. And she's kind of looking through the pictures and she kind of, pointed at one of them. It was a, a woman laying naked and the man was just behind her looking at her butt. And she kind of looks at me and then she looks over at my partner and she's like, hmm, kind of gets this weird look on her face. She's contemplating, do they do that? Um, you know, keeps looking at pictures, keeps looking at pictures, finds a picture of oral sex. You can't really see the whole penis, but it's clear what's going on. And she's like, looks at it. She looks at me. She looks at my partner. She looks back at me and she goes, do you do that? A little bit. She found it horrified, right? And I knew this was a moment. We all need to stay very calm. And I said, that's a normal part of an adult healthy relationship. And I want you to hear what I said, adult healthy relationship. Why did I say that? Because every time she asked me about something that was related to sexual activity, I would tag adult onto it and healthy relationship. And the reason that I did that was because subconscious, subconsciously what she's hearing is these are activities adults do. Now, did that change her attitude towards sexuality? She knew friends that were having sex at an early age. She knew that, um, that I wasn't telling her she could and couldn't have sex. Uh, that wasn't something that was for me to tell her because I wanted her to be able to talk to me and not put anything in the way of her asking me questions. We had a birth control conversation after puberty, for sure, absolutely. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think that um, the, we just have to get comfortable normalizing the conversation. Because if you're, as a parent, you're thinking, oh, I don't even want to think about my kid having sex. That's your That's your whole attitude. You're throwing up your hands and doing that. You're giving them that energy. And it's not that you're going to keep them from having sex. I don't know anybody that can keep their kid from having sex if they're going to do it. Just, just sorry to say that, but that's true. But what that does tell them is you don't want to hear about it. 
you don't want to consider it. You're not the safe place or person to talk about it. So if something goes wrong, uh, your kid gets molested by a babysitter, your kid, by the way, it's usually people we know, by the way, if you're going to, kid's going to get molested, it's usually by somebody, you know, not a stranger. If your child doesn't have that feeling that you're a safe place to talk, that you're somebody who's open to hearing, they'll automatically close up and not talk to you. And so that creates sexual trauma, the inability to talk to their most trusted people, which should be their parents, creates a different type of sexual wounding that can create sexual trauma or put them in line to be sexually traumatized. So I know this is a hard, hard topic for everybody. Super scary for parents, I'm telling you. But my wish is that, and I told my daughter, when you're ready to have sex one day, I want you to be prepared for that. I want you to be empowered by that. I want you to know that you can say no at any time. You can change your mind whenever you do and understand that not everybody thinks that way. So how do we empower our kids if we're not willing to have these conversations? Yeah. And I think that, I mean, this whole, whole conversation is really, really needed because we don't have the conversation often enough. And yeah, sure, your kids go through health class and they learn some of these things through school, through their friends, through um, having the conversations with their parents, where whatever it may be. But um, like we were talking about, is that the immaturity that we have around sex in America leads to the challenges that we might have having these conversations. So I think that it's really important to have these conversations. And I know, at least personally, I had my first daughter, well, my first child, um, I've only had one daughter, but uh, my first child when I was 16 years old, and I don't feel like I ever really had these conversations with my parents ever, uh, growing up in a religious household when I was younger, but then also it just wasn't really talked about. And maybe I did, I don't know, maybe I blanked out those conversations, but I think that it's important, especially now that I have my son and he asks questions that I don't know how to answer. And now I am armed with more tools that I can utilize when I'm having these conversations with, with my son. And so it is definitely an important conversation that needs to be had. And this is why we do what we do on the show is to have the hard conversations that nobody else wants to talk about. Um, so you mentioned breathing and staying calm. Um, let me type these in staying calm. Uh, what else can parents do or just people in general, um, <laughs> I'm typing as I talk, you uh, to have more open conversations. So my question is, uh, you mentioned breathing and staying calm. What else can parents do or just people in general to have more open conversations? Yeah, so... I realized that, you know, if this is just your, your parent already, or you're somebody who, like we all had parents, <laughs> so this works for both the parents of kids and the kid now that is the adult, like how, how do we um, get more open around sexuality? Because one, the, some of the problems with having good sex as an adult is how you were raised around sex is how you go about sex. So 
as a woman, you may not be able to have a conversation with your partner about what works and doesn't work. Um, as a man, you'll have expectations of how you're just supposed to be, you know, it's all about your penis. And so you might think your penis is your main event in sex, which it's not. And so it, this, this is a whole generational, multi-generational conversation around this. And having the conversations is, is the start, right? Being able to, and you might start this with just yourself. Like if you're uncomfortable using the word vagina, vulva, penis, whatever word you wanna use, if you're uncomfortable talking about your breasts, talking about your body parts, then the first thing you want to do is start saying the words out loud. People always say to me, man, you just say those words like <laughs> they're everyday words. I'm like, yeah, because I've been having conversations around sex for, you know, decades. But you just by yourself, by yourself in the shower, by yourself in the mirror, by yourself, just have open conversations. Use the words. Now, maybe you don't like the clinical words. That's fine. Find a word that you do like, okay? But make sure it's an empowering word that you're not downing yourself or ridicule. It shouldn't be a ridiculing word. Your sex, your genitals should be, you should be honoring them and feeling, finding words that feel honoring and feel good and feel comfortable coming out of your mouth. Because if you're talking to your kid, you're talking to your partner, it's all the same. You need to feel comfortable about these words. So first, let's all get comfortable with the words. Second, if you're not comfortable, how do you find that comfort? And that is by taking deep conscious breaths, which means in through the nose, into your belly, relaxing your shoulders, exhaling through your mouth, and then say the word. So if you find yourself tense before you start to say the word, you need to relax first because that's a charge that you're holding them. That tension carries through in your voice, which impacts everybody around you, whether that's your partner or your kids. So being able to have, now once, trust me, you'll get to an age maybe with your kids. Mine never did this because I had that openness all the way through. But if you sit your kid down and you've never talked about sexuality and all of a sudden at 9, 10, 11, 12, you're like gonna have the conversation Expect to be blown off by your kid. Expect them to be embarrassed. Expect them to not want to hear you. Okay, so the great way to do that isn't like to just spring it on them. It's like to start talking about these things in the car or places they're kind of trapped. It's like, you know, so I was thinking about sex the other day. It's like, oh, mom, gross. Don't even like it. It's like, yeah, I hear you think it's gross. I get it. I hear you. But you know what I realized? I haven't had these conversations enough with you and I want to have them and, and just make them short. You know, they're listening. They're telling you gross. I don't want to hear it. Put their headphones up. They're listening because they are curious about what's up. You can start with dating topics. The first time I kissed somebody, it was like, didn't expect it to kind of go how it did. Um, sharing your stories also means that you are safe and a vulnerable person who can be talked to. They're listening, even if they're acting like they're not. Okay. So how detailed do you have to get? Stay general to begin with. You know, they'll ask more questions if they want you to dive deeper. Should you tell your children everything about your sex life? Depends on the kid, depends on your sex life, um, but follow their cues. Um, but you need to start. You need to start from the time they're really little to, it's not a one conversation. It's a full conversation through their lifetime 
and beyond when they've moved out of the house and stuff, knowing that they can come and ask or even that it's okay to get help. So for you all listening, if you are sexually traumatized, if you do have issues around any of these things, it's okay to get help. It's okay to ask for help. Who do you ask? Well, you can start if you feel comfortable telling your doctor that you're having trouble with sex or orgasm or feel bad about your body or there's something, um, your, your GYN. If that doesn't work, there's therapists. Um, I do sexual coaching as well. There's people out in the world that will help you. And it might feel embarrassing, but the reality is it's worse to not get help. And if you're a parent struggling with how to talk to your kid, you can get help for that too. You know, so the biggest thing is let's not bury sexuality. Let's not bury the conversations around how we feel about our bodies and how we feel about sex. Let's start normalizing the conversations and everybody will flourish because sexuality is a very deep rooted after all. So our survival things are what survival and procreation are the two biggest, you know, uh, biological imperatives we have. So it's not going away just because you don't talk about it. <laughs> it's there to stay and normalizing it would be the best thing. Taking that breath, getting yourself centered so that you feel OK, practice on your own first and then start practicing with safe people around you. Just practice. Keep talking about it. Yeah, this, I mean, all these conversations that we have are so important. And I know that the conversation around sexuality is, I mean, even more important these days as we talk about being gender fluid and so many other things that are now coming out. And I just really appreciate this conversation. So I am curious and I thank you so much for being my guest today. But if people want to work with you, where can they find you? Well, if you can spell my first name right, T-A-N-J-A, and remember Diamond, you will find me everywhere. <laughs> you cannot miss me. If you Google Tanya Diamond, you'll find me for sure. I'm on Facebook's my primary social media, and there's uh, lots of websites that I'm associated with. But just hit me up, and my email is Tanya at TanyaDiamond.com. So how easy is that? That is easy. Thank you so much again. I appreciate you being here, even though we had technical difficulties. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. So happy to have been here. Thanks for having me back as well. And this has been interesting. <laughs> uh, yeah, an interesting way to do this. It kind of feels like you're on a different planet. <laughs> so I hope it worked out well for everybody. Yes, it was awesome. So thank you so much. <laughs> All right, y'all. That was another amazing episode of Mental Health Mondays. You know, technical challenges, they happen in life and they happen on shows and we just learn to roll with them and that's totally okay. And I just really appreciate Tanya coming on again. I know that this conversation can be really challenging or potentially challenging, or maybe you are somebody who has these conversations on a regular basis and you're like, this is normal to me. That is amazing. And I think that we should all really start having whether they're hard or easy conversations, and especially as parents with our children, because one way or another, they're going to learn and they're going to figure it out. So we should be that safe space for them to talk to. We should also be our own safe space to be able to have that conversation, whether it be with our partners or somebody else that is close in our life. And 
If we can't advocate for ourselves, who's going to do it? Nobody else is going to do it. So really the message here is advocate for yourself, have those hard conversations, um, find the, the maturity around a potential uh, immature uh, conversation. I don't know if it's really immature, but that's what I'm rolling with. So I appreciate you watching our Mental Health Mondays today. We do this every single Monday at 11 a.m. Mountain Standard Time. And we talk to professionals either in the mental health space, mental health advocates, or those that live with or experience a mental health challenge. And I want to throw out today, we are launching officially our annual gala tickets today. And so if you are in Denver, Colorado, or you want to come join BCC Evolution for our annual gala, it is 80s theme this year. And I'm so excited. I don't know why I'm so excited, but I am. We're going to have an 80s cover band and we're going to jam out to some 80s music, have food, fun, and get some fundraising. So again, tickets launch today. They will be on our website probably in about an hour. You could go check. So grab your tickets to our annual gala. And we have a lot more really exciting things coming up. But I just want to say thank you to everybody for watching. Make sure you hit the subscribe or the like button wherever you are watching so that you don't miss another episode. And feel free to share these episodes with anybody that you think that could really use this information. This is all about resources and how we can help our communities to have these hard conversations around mental health, around sexual trauma, all of those things that we potentially don't want to have the conversation. So I will see you next Monday. Thanks so much for joining. Bye y'all.